Metallica, here they come, the kings of metal. This is Jon from Bukasa. You're listening to Metal of Your Podcast. Welcome to the Up Your Podcast. I'm Ethan Luck. And I'm Clint Wells. This is episode 216, and we're talking to a good friend of Clint's, Kurt Ozon. Kurt Ozon is a touring musician. You will know him uh, if you pay attention at all to the country world. He is in the band for Luke Combs. Luke Combs is one of the biggest country touring acts out right now. And uh, I met Kurt out on the road in my travels. You will hear our origin story in the episode. But uh, he's a huge Metallica fan. And just a really fascinating, cool guy. And Ethan and I were putting together thoughts about the future episodes. And I've wanted to have Kurt on since I met him out on the road about a year and a half ago. And me and Kurt were texting yesterday. And I just figured it'd be a fun episode. So we're going to hear all about his Metallica story. We're going to hear about how pervasive rock and metal guitar players are in the Nashville professional country world. And we're going to hear about just his world. He's an interesting dude. I'm glad that you got to meet him today, Ethan. I am too, yeah. And uh, and he is, you know, a, a sweetie pie, as we like to dub a lot of uh, people yeah. in, in that regard. We only we only dabble with sweetie pies. Uh, if you're not a sweetie pie, yeah, then you're not on Metal Up Your Podcast. No, we don't have any room for you over here. We're sorry. There's no, no room in, in the in the pantry for you. No. Um, but no, he, he was an awesome dude. I had a great time chatting with him, uh, with you and... And uh, just hearing his story, his Metallica story, his is, you know, just sto- you know stories of, of touring and, and working with Luke and uh, doing photography. It, it was just a fun conversation, man. And so we're going to get to that soon. We do have the housekeeping. Another fun thing we are going to do today is we have our iTunes contest. We're going to give away five gifts. I have the names here in my skull vase. Oh yes. I don't know if you can hear them rattling. You know, the skull vase is just like another almost like another host of the show. It is, yeah. He's, he's been here since the beginning and uh That's right. every giveaway we've done, which we how many giveaways have we done on this podcast? At least 50 at least, or 100? At least 5. At least 5, yeah, Minimum. Right there. So we'll be drawing those names. All you had to do was leave us a positive review on iTunes. I have printed them all out. And uh, we're going to say thanks to that. But first, we have a little bit of news that I wanted to talk to you. I specifically, I wanted to talk to you about the Metallica I'm news. ready, man. Let's, let's, let's hear it. Now, is it because we're friends? Is it because we co-host Metallica podcasts? I don't know. The, the reasons are mysterious. But I specifically wanted to talk to you about the news. Yes and yes. One of the things happening in the news, and I feel like this has been trickling out for a while and probably will until it's released, but it's the news about the new Metallica album being made. But you could probably file this under not great news because the headline is this from Blabbermouth. Metallica is making, quote unquote, glacial progress on new album. Glacial progress. <laughs> now, here, here's my, my immediate hot take. Okay. Glacial could be uh, referring to how, how big it is, making big, right. big progress or s- glacial as in they move really slow. It could refer to the very thing that took down the Titanic in which uh, Jack and 
Rose were on and fell in love. And then he died on the piece of wood right. saving her. Remember? Oh, yeah. Remember Titanic? Don't let go, Jack. I think what – I do think what uh, Lars is referring to is how slowly it's going. Here's what he had to say. Yeah. He says, being in a rock and roll band and working virtually is not super easy. Time delays, all these things make it hard. The main thing we miss is being able to hear each other. And then he laughed. Laughter ensues. Ha, ha, ha. So if we're all – ha, 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 LOL. So if we're all four in a room together, we can connect with each other and we can hear each other. If I'm playing in San Francisco and Kirk and James are in Hawaii or Colorado, there are significant time delays. Very hard for us to play at the same time. If I'm doing what we call steering, which means that I'm playing a beat and they're playing to me, I can't hear what they're playing and vice versa. We can't all hear each other in a universal fashion. So there are some significant complications we have. Our recording team and our production team are speaking to software makers all over the world about how to crack the code on this, and nobody has quite figured it out yet. So on the one hand, of course, uh, of course, it's difficult when they're in three different places and time zones, and mm-hmm. especially when you consider how they write, how they work. They like to hash out the music first yeah um so it sounds like the main issue they're having is just syncing up and latency and even with uh you know technology in 2021 you know we're on skype right now there's zoom all these things there's always a delay and so listen if 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 there's a band that can hire a team to crack the code on that it's going to be metallica yeah and i totally get it like based on what i know about them their age how they've normally you know um navigated through the recording industry i i totally get it I, it did make me think though there's like 10 percent of me that's like you know instead of trying to fit the way you write songs into the problem maybe you should rethink how you write songs because you know i'm thinking about the lunar satan album i mean i i recorded that even though i had other musicians play on it i was able to write it essentially and mock up drums to Mm -hmm. send to you or to send to brian king i put bass on everything that i would then send to chris um it it did kind of feel like they're trying too hard to fit the way they do things into the situation instead of adapting to it yeah they may not i mean they kind of don't know any different that's how they've always written for you know almost 40 years yeah so i get it it's you know it's probably a, a bit of a learning curve or maybe the issue is you know uh kirk is on dial-up or something and nobody he hasn't told anybody yet <laughs> kirk is still an aol 3.0 and that's yeah. why it's not working right um i think it's also too that there's no immediate need for them to you know to make an album right. so they can really kind of do it slowly and they do it slow anyway yeah and uh i think my big takeaway is whether or not it's glacial uh I'm just glad that they're being creative. I think it's really cool. I did read through, unfortunately, some of the comments on Blabbermouth. Oh, Lord. Oh, boy. Check some of these out. Let's let's hear it. Aaron Thomas says, anything to help save the glaciers sounds good to me, unless it's a new Metallica album. Oh, my gosh. Ooh, burn. Chris Dude writes, Lars is in a quote-unquote rock and roll band. The three other guys are in a metal band. They should have fired that fairy long ago. Can you believe this? People really think that, like, I'm gonna, you know, here's what I think about this, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna make my comment official. Anytime, get, oh my gosh, yeah, it's just, I know. I always get a kick out of like, and I kind of hang my head at the comments that are directed at Lars that are like, twenty years outdated. Here's what Ken Cannon says: Metallica's done. Face it, Lars. I'm looking forward to the new Megadeth. Cheers. My gosh, yeah, because Hardwired was a terrible album, and, and, and a failure tour. Ernest says, I'm betting the new Megadeth sounds better than Metallica. I'm like, 
the people who exert energy just being mean online, it's just still so fascinating. I know. I don't get it's it. It's just still so fascinating. Well, I'm excited. I'm excited that the boys are, are making the new album and they can take their time. I am glacially new... excited. <laughs> One might say my excitement uh, takes the form of a slow-moving yet powerful glacier. Yes? Yes, uh, cold, cold on the inside and out. For the tip of the iceberg is but a small portion of the glacier below. It's what you don't see that is glacial. The next thing is, and we got asked a lot about this, and I wish Paul, Paul, Paul. Uh, was on the show to weigh in, but we don't need him to weigh in because we actually know our way around this issue. But Bob Rock sold his Black al- Album royalties, and uh, a lot of people kind of want to know, I guess people who aren't in the publishing world, this is this is confusing. Like, what does it mean? Right. How much? Was it a good thing? Was it a bad thing? Why would he do it? All of that. So let me read a little excerpt from the article. This is from The Guardian, and then we'll we'll talk a little bit about – we'll break some of this down. So it says, Metallica and Michael Buble producer cashes in on music streaming rights. Boom. Hypnosis buys rights to Bob Rock's Metallica album and Canadian artist songs for undisclosed sums. So we don't know how much. A thousand bucks, uh, maybe. So he sold his producer rights in heavy metal band Metallica's eponymous album and songs by Canadian singer Michael Bublé that include Call Me Irresponsible, Crazy Love, and Christmas. The deal for an undisclosed amount gives investment firm Hypnosis song fund rights to 43 songs. Okay. My guess is that that company is not going to be able to – like like whoever bought Bob Dylan's catalog, right? Mm-hmm. They, they bought everything. Not just a portion, like of what like what Bob Rock uh, gets on the Black album. So I don't. This isn't a situation where where this company can just like throw their songs in Taco Bell commercials and stuff. You know, I th- I think because the well, rest of the okay. band own, well, is going to own more of that. They own all their masters too. Bob Rock, wh- even if he didn't sell this to Hypnosis, Bob Rock with his like one point on the Black album can't license the album, right? So he never could have given Sabbath true to Taco Bell. No, you're and sen- neither can't. Yeah, you're essentially neither- getting uh, per sale, per vinyl sale, per yeah. download, all stuff. You you get a cut. Yeah, you're getting mechanicals, which means for every copy that's sold, you're getting licensing public. You're just getting the publishing. Mm-hmm. So it's just it's just revenue. It's not power to license. Right. That's that's going to stay with Metallica or Electra, whoever. I think Metallica owns all their masters and all their shit. So I yeah, think they they're do. fine. So this doesn't mean you're going to see Sabbath true and Taco Bell without the wishes of James Hetfield and Lars Ulrich. This just means that that instead of Bob collecting his, you know, small royalty payments through for the rest for the rest of his life, he just bought out one big sum. Yeah. And so th- that's the reasoning. A lot of people have wondered like why and it's a corporate sellout, but the buyer, the hypnosis company, it's this guy, uh Merc Mercuriatus, who okay. previously managed artists including Elton John, Guns N' Roses and Beyonce the company that floated on the London Stock Exchange, blah, blah, blah. This is apparently like a well-known lover and purveyor of music. Okay. So Bob Rock said, I put my heart and soul into these songs. I know how much Merck loves music, so it was an easy deal to put together. So like the deal with Dylan, we've talked about on the show before, but here's what happens if you leave your legacy, because Bob Rock has like 13 kids. If you leave your legacy for your family to figure out you may have some kids that don't know anything about the music industry or know anything about publishing right. and don't know how to take care of the music. So I, I can't speak for Dylan because Dylan's a, you know, a mysterious figure, but Bob Rock is basically saying this guy loves music and this guy is going to make sure these songs are taken care of. Mm-hmm. And, 
you know, he said, I think he's quoted as saying it's one of the easiest deals he's ever made. Yeah. Because he knows the songs are going to be curated well, and he's, you know, he gets he gets paid for them, and he doesn't have to worry about collecting and all that crap. Right. So it all makes sense to me. I do think that Bob Dylan started kind of like a trend here. It already says that Hypnosis has struck deals with Shakira and Neil Young. Mick Fleetwood is striking a deal with BMG, a Fleetwood Mac. Because, you know, that Dream song went super viral last year. Yeah, after that video, that dude on the skateboard. So... I think we've answered all the. Have we answered all the questions that people might have about? I think so. Why yeah. he did it, what it means. I mean, et essentially, it's like a, you know, this company just they have a ton of money to be able to buy things like this, and you're essentially just buying uh, something that's just going to continue to make money over time, and then you probably have the hope that you have a song like Dreams by Fleetwood Mac that that blows up for some reason randomly. And then all of a sudden, people are buying it a lot more, you know? Yeah, yeah. Because in the new age of TikTok and and uh, you know the people putting out content everywhere, licensing on YouTube, et cetera, a song like Sabbath True could have a kind of different life now. Could could oh, really yeah. generate generate more money than just black album sales. Absolutely. So, congrats to Bob Rock. That's cool. Uh, he didn't sell his Load and Reload catalog though. Nope. Or his Saint Anger catalog. So right. we'll see. We'll see what happens. Uh, iTunes, Patreon, it's a way for you to support the show. How do you do that? Okay, well, on iTunes, you just leave us a positive review. It goes a long way. People are typing in the podcast. They don't know which ones are good or which ones are bad. Here's how they decide that. They look at the reviews. Mm-hmm. And if they see that we have a lot of reviews, which we thankfully do, then uh, they check us out. They give us a shot. They hear one episode. They're right. for life. Honey, please. That's what happens. People hear a little bit of this. They get a little bit of the flavor, mm-hmm. and then they want to eat at the table for the rest of their lives. That's right. Yeah, you can you can have the appetizer, but you're going to want the main course. Let me tell you. Can you please pass the Vegemite? Yeah, sure. Yeah, my Are you no from worries. Australia? Are you from Australia? Yeah. yeah, of course I'll pass the Vegemite. Good eye. Can you pass the Nutella? Yeah. Are you from the UK? Sure. Sure. No problem. Can you pass the almond butter? Yeah. Are you from New Jersey? Of course. Is it for eating or rubbing, please? I've or got, both. Got them both. Uh, the Patreon is a way for you to give back if you're willing and able and you want to support the show. God knows Ethan and I appreciate it, especially in such a crazy time. Yep. Uh, it's real affordable over there. It's five bucks a month. It's sort of the most common tier, although you can donate more or less. And uh, you get a bunch of free stuff over there. Everyone knows about all the stuff you get. But the uh, the bottom line, you get a shout out on the show. So we're going to say thanks right now to Van Barnett, Justin Gracia, Chris Nace got back on the ride, and Jonathan Scheisler. Thank you. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. I want to thank you. <laughs> a little Dido. A little went into a little Dido. Never hurt anybody. No big deal. I had that Dido record. Yeah, Did you have that record. Dido record? Yeah, No Angel, it's called. <laughs> it is. That's the name of the record. Um. Now, here's the deal. We did this iTunes contest for anyone who left us a positive review in the States for the month of December and January. I have those names here, and I have my Skull Voss, as previously mentioned. So let me say thanks to these people first. Earth Hero 87, My Apocalypse 99. This one is not taken, 73739. C. Ewans, Dan Miles 5, No Life Till M-U-Y-P. I love that name. Nice. Carmine Head, Metallica Number 1, DS Bill, What'll It Take, Dude 98-ish, Tricks for Caitlin. Joe Bacabra, Wolfpack Chris, Jaybird Comedy, Eric F86, Owens Bonds, A Collins 876, and Portals of Light. Oh, and Incalia 0126, which I believe is Namarta. It's Namarta, yeah. I like Portals of Life. Portals of Light, please. Good night, Dot Continent. We are Portals of Light. I bide my time. Yes, please. Please. <laughs> okay, so here are the things we're giving away. 
we're giving away two of the little guitar replicas that I believe Christopher Ewan sent into us. Right. Uh, one is the like steel plated Explorer guy. One is the Spider uh, LTD or ESP Les Paul. Right. Yeah. Your favorite uh, guitar. Two of the um, really cool. These were donated by Namarta, but they're two rare posters. Uh, she was telling me about them this morning. These are the Cthulhu Rise posters, the Dirty Donnie. I think yeah. there was like they're super rare. One is the foil, and one is the normal poster. And then one, da da da, da mystery box, baby. Oh, what could it be? We don't know. You don't know. It's just going to be a big old mystery. So, how should we should we start with the mystery box? Let's start with the mystery box. Yeah. All right. If you can hear, I'm rattling these names. I can see it on on camera. Can All I right. can confirm for the listeners. The winner, and by the way, if you win, you have to claim it, okay? The way you claim it is you write an email to us, show at gmail.com, that says iTunes contest, and you say, hey, I'm so-and-so, and I won the thing, and here's my address, all right? So here's the winner of the Metallica Mystery Box. It is Dan Miles 5. All right. He left his review on December 29th, and he has won the Mystery Box. In Very fact, much congratulations to you. Good job, Dan. I'm really, really happy for Dan. Way to next, go, Dan. Next, let's do the uh, James Hetfield replica guitar, the steel-plated Explorer. Now, this is a nice piece. Nice. Um, it it's comes a with sick a, axe. It comes with a case, and it comes with a little guitar stand. Is yeah. that cool? And just so you know, it's, you can't play it. This is Earth Hero 87. Earth Hero 87. All right. Congrats on winning that Explorer. Those are, those are cool little replicas, man. Okay. That's two down. Three to go, baby. Let's do it. Let's, let's give away Kirk's axe. I love calling him an axe. Axe, yeah. You know why? Because it's a, a weapon of fucking war, dude. That's right, man. It's All a right, weapon winner, I shall take through the portal. The winner of Kirk's Spider Les Paul, which you were right to say, Ethan, is one of my favorites, and which I was able to see... In a museum in New York City. Nice. So the winner is Owens Bonds. All right. Owens Bonds? Is that a business? I think a he's bail a bail bond company? He's a bonds bail- bailsman. Yeah. Is it a bailsman? Is that I, a thing? I think, I think it's a bondsman. A bail bondsman. Bail bondsman. He's a, he's a bond bailsman, which he takes bales of water to James Bond. That's and right. he's a bail bondsman. He'll bail, out, he'll bail out your dog, Lucius, for getting in the neighbor's yard and eating their chickens. That's right. Dude, do you remember a few years ago when it like got super fashionable for everyone in Nashville to like, get chickens? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then, and then here's what would happen. Like two weeks later, a dog would eat them. Right, they're like, uh, I'm kind of over it. I thought there was gonna be more eggs. Yeah, it's like one egg every six weeks, and they're like, and then you always hear like, a dog ate my chickens. My my neighbor's got a bunch, but she's legit. She owns a restaurant, so it's like, she. I think she knows what she's doing over there. I love how they're Nashvillians, and then when the when the dog eats their chickens, they suddenly talk like this: a dog ate my chickens. Like, oh my god, honey, can't believe it. And this never happens in the city. <laughs> Like six weeks before, they're like, "Hey, we, you know, we got chickens. We're excited. We're gonna like eat our own eggs and like sort of eat locally." And then the dog eats, and they're like, "A dog ate my chickens." Can you believe it? A dog got into a hole in the fence while we was sleeping, a little sleepies and dreaming up dreams of eggs. A dog came in. He was hungry. He 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 ate him up. It was he a ate vicious, rabid dog. All right, we're gonna give away. <laughs> we're gonna give away now the normal poster of the Cthulhu that was donated by Namarta. This is not the foil. This is just the normal poster. All right, all right. The winner is Wolfpack Chris. Wolfpack Chris. All right. Congratulations, Wolfpack Chris. Is that your real first name, Wolfpack? 
I think his first name was Wolf, middle name Pack. Last name Chris. That makes sense. Last name Chris. All right. And for the big kahuna, the foil poster of the Cthulhu thing. It's very beautiful. Drum roll, please. Where is DS Bill? Congratulations. What? DS Bill? So, it's that easy. You left us the review. We rewarded you. Thank you to all the beautiful people who donated the gifts. Chris Ewens donated the uh, the two guitars, Nomarda with the posters, and the Metallica mystery box. I'm excited to see what's going to be in it. Honey, I don't even know what's going to be in it yet. I, I mean, I think you should pack it up blindfolded. Just so It's a true surprise. <laughs> it's going to have some of my laundry. There'll be like you nails know. in there. <laughs> Um, and it's that simple, right? Where, you know, we like to embody the spirit of our own good friend Metalliclaws here on Metal Every Podcast. That's right. And ever since the beginning, we try to make it a show where we try to give things away. So uh, thanks for that. And we'll move on now to the socials. You can follow us. We're on it. Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And oh my goodness, and Spotify. All and those YouTube. things. The Discord, you can find the link to our Discord on our Instagram page. That's where a bunch of Metal Every Podcast people are gathered 24-7 to talk about a whole range of life issues. Everyone's fastly developing deep and meaningful relationships over there, wouldn't you say? It's, I would say that. It's a good time. Um, yeah, like Clint said, it is running 24-7. There's someone always on there. Uh, and yeah, things get serious. Things uh, you get some maybe some friendly debates going, music talk, mixtapes, vinyl, whatever you want to talk about. There, there's a room for it. I just recently added a, 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 tr- a travel room to talk about that stuff. Mm, you know, that's f- cool. Fun pictures of when you when you leave New Jersey, of and, when you take your dog to the Grand Canyon and you both cry because it's one of God's miracles on earth. How did it get so big? How did it, it? It makes you know what it does. You stand and you behold the Grand Canyon, and it makes you feel small. It, it really does. It's it's like a big, uh, it, you know, and it, it, it's a big brown glacier. <laughs> it's a big hole where a glacier was. That's what it, it used to be. It was where the glacier was. The glacier melted, turned into a ravine at the bottom of the canyon. I just realized and, that if you kind of do the Joyce voice a little bit lower, it's the Rome guy. Because <laughs> normally it's like the Joyces are talking like this, but if you get oh, lower, oh honey, please, talk we saw like the Grand Canyon. We took it in, and it gave us a lot of perspective on our cosmic meaning in the, in the universe. And then you die, and then you go on to the canyon, and you die. <laughs> okay, uh, did we do everything? Yes, we did, didn't we? Oh, the Lunar Satan update. So, quick update. I got the test pressings, which is great. They sound great. The album fucking rips on vinyl. It's a different master for the vinyl than the digital release. And that means that things are moving right along. The cassette tapes will be done soon. And uh, once I get everything out to the Kickstarter backers, I've gotten a ton of messages about if the vinyl is going to be available for people who weren't on the Kickstarter train. There's going to be, yeah, maybe 50 pieces of the vinyl and of the cassette that will be for sale at LunarSatan.com. Awesome. The easiest way to get a hold of us is our emails. So, show at gmail.com. We love hearing from everybody out in the Metal Your Podcast family. And we're going to do that now. We're going to hit what we lovingly refer to as the email corner. The corner. All right. Our first email is from Donnie Minshaw. Hey, Clint and Nathan, loved the Illusion episode. I'm with you, Clint. I'm an Illusion cat over Appetite. Much like the Unload list, we all had quite different lists, and but I love that. Just wanted to say that by the next time, sorry, by the time the next show drops, Ozzy Up Your Podcast will be 100% complete. If possible, I was just wondering, I was wondering if I could get another shout out. I tried to get it com- uh, completed sooner, but I've just been too busy with work. Thanks again, your pal and patron, Donnie. So what Donnie's talking about is uh, Ozzy Up Your Podcast. He created a Facebook fan page 
uh, for listeners in Australia to interact and say good day to each other. Yes, yeah, so everyone go check that out on Facebook. Aussie up your podcast. And uh, Donnie also is the guy who sent us our Use Your Illusion shirts. Yep. So thanks again for the shirts, Donnie. It's very cool. Our next email is from Adil Ahmed. Hey, Clinton, Ethan, and Paul. I'm not sure what other responses have been to the Unload Your Illusion episode, but I thought it was awesome. I think generally there's a lot of overlap between Metallica fans and Guns fans, but even despite the fans of this podcast, but even despite that, fans of this podcast have to have heard of GNR due to the infamous co-headlining stadium tour in 1992, as well as your all's passion for both bands and music, which is true. There was a lot of good response, but I was actually surprised to see how many people don't like Guns N' Roses. Yeah, there's a lot. Uh, pretty shocked. Pretty shocking. Yeah. That is shocking. Uh, as both a Guns fan and a Metallica fan, I get just as excited hearing you guys dip into Guns' music as I normally do when you guys dip into all things Metallica. So thank you so much for treating us to a fun yet controversial combining of the landmark Use Your Illusion records. But really, though, no, don't damn me. And I agree with you, uh, Adil. I agree with you. I don't know what happened there. You'll have to talk to Paul and Ethan because well, I voted for it. Yeah, just hit, hit me up on uh on my cellular phone or something. It's Paul at smokestack.com. <laughs> Ethan at smokestack.org. Aside from letting you, I think it's actually hit up Tom at alphabetallica.com. <laughs> That's me. what it is, yeah. <laughs> Aside from letting you know that I, for one, gladly welcome any future deep dives into guns or any other bands for that matter, since I just love hearing you guys talk about music, I wanted to write in and ask a music history question about something you guys have alluded to several times in the past, but explicitly mentioned in the Unload Your Illusion episode. You guys mentioned that outside of the 70s, the early 90s had some of the greatest music of all time. The Use Your Illusions, Nevermind, 10, Black Album, etc. Why do you think that is? Was it purely just the death of glam metal or was there something more to it? And why aren't the 80s usually regarded as a legendary decade for music? Some of my favorite music came out in the 80s. Van Halen, Iron Maiden, Megadeth, Anthrax, Slayer, and of course Guns N' Roses and Metallica. Like I said, I just love hearing you guys talk about anything and everything music related. So I always think timelines like this are interesting in music discussions. Thanks again, and hope you're all staying well. A deal from Louisville, Kentucky, mm. New Jersey. I have something to say about this. Yes? Uh, I mean, I think the popularity of a lot of the early 90s stuff um, with, you know, Illusion Blackout, Nevermind, et cetera, um, I think a lot of it has to do with the, the 80s were so oversaturated with glam metal, pop, everything looking perfect. You know, the 80s were a very perfect decade of, of appearance. You know, every, you know, everything was above and beyond, and tons of makeup and hair tees and all that stuff and i think people were just over it so all that early 90s stuff including metallica and guns was just a breath of fresh air um and i think to to their point about maybe why why the 80s wasn't that way with a lot of uh heavy music the the pop and glam stuff was just too big i mean even even a, a record like master of puppets in the the to the general public, that was still overshadowed by bands like Poison and Duran Duran and all that stuff. It was still a, a very underground thing. Yeah, it's it's interesting to think about. I wish we had more time, but I think also, I don't know. I don't know why the decade doesn't get the credit for, for example, you've got landmark albums like the Joshua Tree in 87. Mm -hmm. You've got the Smiths coming into their own in the 80s. You've got The Cure with Disintegration, Van Halen 1984. Um, there were a lot of great records that decade. I, I, I don't know. I really don't know. And I, I honestly, other than the early nineties, I don't know how well the nineties stacks up in general. I think the nineties is actually kind of rough. The nineties is yeah. the birth, the birth of the, the reemergence of boy bands and like girl bands. Then you, you have, have rap you have, rock. 
and then you have rap rock and you have uh, new metal, which I know some people really like new metal, but it really wasn't for me. Yeah, you your, your Limp biscuits and your corns. You and, also had the re-explosion of punk rock in, in 94 with like Green Day's Dookie, The Offspring. Yeah, Smash. Rancid. Yeah, Rancid. rancid. Uh, which I would put in the good column. Oh, yeah. But, oh, yeah, for sure. But the grunge era didn't – I mean, first of all, the grunge era didn't survive. It was very brief. All of those guys either died or, or quit making good albums. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would argue maybe except Pearl Jam. But, right. you know, Lane Staley died and Kurt Cobain died. And it, I, I just think that the early 90s is kind of where all that power was. Yeah. I can't really think of a lot of gr- – I mean, uh, before these crowded streets, a Dave Matthews album, that's 97 – U2's pop was 97, but right. U2's big 90s album was Octune Baby, and that was 93. Or actually, that was 91. Yeah. So, I don't know. I would definitely, I think the whole decade of the 70s holds up. And even Van Halen, I mean, Van Halen started in like 78. Right, yeah, for sure. And even The Cure started in the late 70s. Yeah. But um, even for metal, the 70s with Sabbath was just so crazy and Led Zeppelin. And mm-hmm. I would put 60s up there, too. Oh, for sure. I don't, yeah. know, I don't know why the '80s. I, I don't know. It's really interesting to think about. The Maybe 80s, we there was just of... so much in the '80s. I mean, it, it like yeah. I said earlier, the '80s was all about excess. Yeah, you know, right. in every way, shape, and form. I think you know, w- w- not even just in music, in you know, real estate and all that stuff, and wealth yeah. and whatnot. But um. And so maybe that's why those those first maybe five years of the '90s were just so exciting because it was something so different and stripped down, and you know, guys like Kirk Cobain and and and. Chris Cornell didn't look like these perfectly put together rock stars. They were people like you and I just on stage and just writing kick-ass songs, you know? Right. But that's all, that's all I got to say about right. that. Well, <laughs> thanks for the question. Uh, next email is from Chad Kroger. Just kidding. Uh, emails from Chad Hogg. He says, hot take appetite is the greatest rock and roll record ever recorded. There are only one or two songs on Illusion that uh, can stand with the worst songs on Appetite, and about a third of the songs I'd be happy to never hear again. Uh, Spaghetti, Spaghetti Incident, of course, was worse than The Illusions, and Democracy was worse than Spaghetti. (laughs) I guess that makes me a a guns true. That said, here are my picks. So here's Chad Hogg's, his unload. Unload your illusion. Um, Side A, You Can Be Mine, Don't Damn Me, Dust and Bones, November Rain, Right Next Door to Hell, Shotgun Blues, Locomotive, Civil War. And then side B would be Garden of Eden, Back Off Bitch, 14 Years, Estranged, Perfect Crime, Double Talk and Jive, and Coma. Pretty good album. That's a, yeah, that's a solid good list. solid lineup right there. Um, well, thanks, Chad. Yeah, thanks for the email, Chad. Very cool. All right, Robert Barnett says, Hey, guys, I'm a Middle Tennessee neighbor of yours. Been listening for a while now and was recently finally able to get on the Patreon train. Thank you very much, Robert. I wanted to write to thank you both for what you do. As a kid getting into music in the early 90s, I thought metal was for people who were tough and rebellious, and I wasn't either of those things. So while the Metallica singles sounded good to me, I was more of an alternative rock, indie rock, and punk rock kid. In my later teens, I figured out I actually loved metal, but most of the music I was most excited about was the kind that happened in smaller rooms, so I didn't immediately dive deep into Metallica. It was more of a slow burn over years of acquiring and listening to their back catalog. I wasn't truly on the ride until Death Magnetic. I found that interesting. That's cool. It's unique. Uh, it's a unique path into Metallica. I didn't make it out to the Magnetic tour and regretted it. And I told my wife I was going to do. I was going to go if they ever came back to town. A decade later, I had my chance, but for a variety of mundane reasons, I didn't end up going to the 2019 Nashville show. When I saw the Nashville performance of Black and on YouTube, I had the worst concert regret of my life. And I realized that given the age of the boys, there was no guarantee of another appearance in Tennessee. With new determination, I bought tickets and made plans to travel to a 2020 festival show with my friend Charlie. 
I'm guessing that was probably the Louisville gig. Probably, yeah. I was diving deep on the band like never before, and 2020 was going to be my Metallica year. My excitement was sky high. Well, we all know what happened next. Although my family is healthy and I'm employed, last year was just a slow-motion landslide of disappointment and depression on multiple fronts. The year that was supposed to be a culmination of my Metallica fandom had evaporated, but a few months before, I'd also discovered Metal Up Your Podcast. hey The hours of companionship and Metallica knowledge you guys provided became something I look forward to and have treasured. In place of the canceled concert, I blasted my Through the Never Blu-ray and had some blackened whiskey. Then in August, I took my nine-year-old son to the Pandemica drive-in show. The All Within My Hands live stream on my back porch was another highlight. And all along the way, I had weekly episodes of you guys to keep the Metallica fires burning. 2020 was hard and relentlessly difficult in ways I won't go into. But when I see the empty blackened bottle I saved up on my shelf or the VIP drive-in lanyard that my son proudly hung above his bed, I realized that 2020 was still my Metallica year, just not the ways I had planned. I hope the boys can make a new record and tour it. I hope James stays healthy. I hope the world gets back to normal and I can attend a Metal Up Your Podcast hang someday. But whatever comes next, I'm grateful for what you guys have put into this thing, and I'm grateful for the people I'm meeting through the Metal Up Your Podcast community. On I Burn, Van, Mount Juliet, Tennessee. Wow, that was such a, such a great email. Well, we have a lot of poets who write into the show, a lot of storytellers who are excel at narrative writing, and Van's yeah. one of them, clearly. Amazing. Van's one of them. And yeah, he's uh, clearly one of our neighbors out in Mount Juliet, Tennessee, which is uh, uh, about 30 minutes from here. Um, man, that's so cool. I, I, and I'm jealous you got to go to the Pandemica Drive-In Show. I assume he went to the one up in southern Kentucky that I was going to go to, but wasn't in town. But man, what a cool experience with your son. Yeah, I loved every bit of that. Again, it's really cool and humbling to be a, a part of. I mean, we've just said it a lot, but it it, it bears mentioning because last year was so strange, like right. colossally historically strange for everybody this year doesn't seem to be much different so the fact that we could be a part of helping someone get through it is really cool and uh and it helped me it helped me the same yeah I mean, absolutely my my story of coping with the pen with the pandemic is largely told through metal up your podcast <laughs> episodes as well so exactly i feel all that van thank you so oh, much yeah. all right next email is from yoan bentley hey guys my name is yoan and i'm 13 years old wow this is awesome uh, I first discovered Metallica when I was 10. That sounds crazy. Three years ago. Uh, when I was listening to some Avenged Sevenfold and it came up in the recommended on Spotify. I listened to Master of Puppets and since then I've been hooked on their music. Your pod- podcast has been a great listen over the course of the COVID lockdown. And it's been awesome learning about my, my favorite band from your podcast. It was the Dire's Eve solo that made me pick up a guitar and I've been playing for two and a bit years now. Your podcast helped me cope with the sheer boredom of homeschooling and the national lockdown. Keep up with the good work. What you've been doing is awesome, and I can't wait to hear more. Peace. Man, that's awesome. That's so cool, uh, Yoan. I'm assuming I'm pronouncing that right. Man, it's so cool that someone at age 13, you know, only three years ago, got into Metallica through a band that was influenced by Metallica. It's usually kind of the opposite sometimes, or maybe not, but but so cool that the, uh, Metallica, that seems crazy. Metallica came up as a recommended listen on Spotify. <laughs> Well, he's doing what you should do, you know. He's he's he his favorite band is Avenged Sevenfold, or what one of his favorite bands, and he's doing the thing where he's tracing the thread back. You yeah, know? that's Figuring awesome. Out, you know, the same way that one might do listening to Metallica, getting into Sabbath or Iron Maiden or Motorhead or right or or even the crazier you know bands like Budgie and you know Diamond Head, right? And yeah, all that stuff. So I, I appreciate that, and dude. Man, hanging in there with lockdown and doing virtual school. I've got a six-year-old. I know how tough that probably is for you. And and uh, 
you're you're doing great, man. And I'm glad that you picked up a guitar. Playing an instrument will save you in a lot of different ways. Absolutely. From, from boredom and from from not having a path and the fact that it was the Dyer's Eve solo, man, I love that. That's so cool. You'll have to, if you can play the Dyer's Eve solo, Johan, you'll have to show me how to do it because yeah. I don't know if I could play that solo. Me too. Maybe, can, you could, maybe you could give me a guitar lesson. Yeah, can we get lessons, please? All right. Thanks, dude. Thanks, little homie. And uh, may, maybe for some of these episodes, wear, wear the uh, earmuffs. I don't know. If <laughs> <laughs> it's 13. Okay. Yeah. I guess when I was 13, I could have handled this podcast. Yeah, probably. It's definitely, it's definitely a, an adult podcast, right? I mean, would, I, would you say it's PG thirteen or R? I have PG thirteen. I would be comfortable with a PG thirteen sticker. I mean, it's not like we get we get we, we talk about graphic things. It's mostly it's, just cussing. It's only an R when we talk about Cannibal Corpse lyrics. No, that's that's, not de- our that's fault. definitely <laughs> NC seventeen. <laughs> uh, David Fredericks writes, "Brothers loved episode two fifteen, the deep dive into Guns and Roses is user illusions. I think it would be cool for you guys, plus Paul, Paul? to do a commentary slash listen through of just unload your illusions as if it were a real release." Not sure if you've done an illusion commentary yet. I'm freeing the ends of my sanity, listening through the entire Metal Up Your Podcast catalog, burning the candle at both ends, one might say. I'm up to episode 135 on the backside, but have burned down episodes 165 to present, which is what? What are we on today? What is this? One, this is 216. Yeah. He says, Clint, thank you, thank you, thank you for bringing Ghost, the band, not the Holy Ghost, to my attention through the podcast. They've instantly become one of my favorite bands. The last two albums are flawless. I really love the unexpected but perfectly placed sax solo in the middle of Miasma. Tobias Forge is some kind of genius, amazing stuff. I agree. I love the band Ghost. They're great, yeah. Just such a great, fun, amazing band. And the last two albums, he's talking about Prequel and uh, uh, Meliora. I highly recommend. I recommend all their albums, but those two for sure. He says, now for some shameless, pra- shameless praise. I always look forward to some new Metallica content from Metal Up Your Podcast, but I also really dig the Tangent City episodes you guys can make any subject fun and funny, except for Cannibal Corpse lyrics, he says. <laughs> One day, years from now, when everything that can be said about Metallica has been said, please continue on in some fashion with this weekly podcast gold. Dave. Oh, Dave. Oh, classic Dave. Classic Sweetie Pie Dave. That's well, such a classic Dave email, man. Dude, when I was reading that earlier, I was like, this is so Dave. So Dave. This is so for him to for him to for him to compliment us and then dip into a little bit of ghost talk and then compliment us again like a little a little ghost complimentary sandwich. And even talking about how Cannibal Corpse lyrics aren't funny, that's so Dave. So Dave. Dave. <laughs> that is like, so Dave. Dude, it's like I could totally hear Dave's voice saying it. I know. Uh no one else can write like Dave. It's just classic Dave. So thank you, Dave, for being Dave. And uh we're gonna continue being a metal podcast, baby. Don't worry about that. That's right. So Let's hear from uh, let's hear a Patreon commercial, and then we will meet our friend Kurt. Let's I'm excited do it. for you guys to hear the combo. I'm in. Hey everyone, this is Ethan and Clint. We're here to tell you about supporting the show via Patreon. That's right. Every week, Ethan and I work hard to bring you the best Metallica content possible. If you think the show has value, consider supporting us on a financial level at Patreon. For $5 a month, or the price of two cups of coffee, you can ensure that Metal Up Your Podcast continues to grow in quality and content. But that's not all. In addition to being able to help sleep at night for supporting your favorite podcast, we've also come up with incentives to say thank you that are exclusively available to patrons. For example, for a pledge of $5 or more, you immediately get free 
re-downloads of every Cover Our World Blackened EP. Ticket giveaways for shows like SNM2 and Slain Castle. Box sets, rare vinyl, Metallica memorabilia like SNM2 guitar picks. Email priority, meaning we'll read your email first on the show with a chance to ask guests like Hailstorm, Jay Weinberg of Slipknot, and Metallica Row Crew your very own questions. And the opportunity to come on the show as a guest for our Metal Tales bonus episodes in which you can tell us all about any Metallica show you've been to in the past. All this and more for becoming a patron and supporting Metal Up Your Podcast. We couldn't do this show without you, and to everyone on the ride with us, we sincerely thank you. Peace. Adios. I know that this is not true for you, Clint. Um, but like, I recently, like, I just, I feel like I haven't been listening to music a lot. Like, I've been really like, I listen to podcasts and I play music, but I don't just like sit down and like appreciate music recently. I don't know if it's like a funk I'm in or something. I, I am curious about that, Kurt. I do. By the way, the show has definitely started. Welcome to the show, everybody. And because uh, I think this is interesting, I do have that, and I think, I think one of the reasons I got so into cassettes and why. I, I will do these deep dives back into like Dave Matthews band is because I think that's me trying to protest that feeling. Like I'll try to lock into some old shit that just, I know will make me happy because I do go through those seasons where I just don't want to listen to anything. And it kind of freaks me out, man. What do you, what do you do during that season? Kurt, do you just focus on work more or do you let it ride or what? Well, I think um, for me, like practicing and playing music will always be there, but like, yeah, like I, like I was saying earlier before you hit, record is I have been listening to like, if I'm like working out or something, like I don't listen to music. I listen to podcasts. Cause I find like it takes my mind away from the shittiness of working out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so like, I'm <laughs> more able to do it longer. Um, but the cool thing about like cassettes and vinyl and stuff is that you have this added element of like technology that gives you something to like do while you're listening to the music. So it helps bring you back in. At least I feel that way. Like I'm more likely to listen to a full record and sit and just listen to it if I'm putting it on a vinyl or something than if it is like I go on iTunes, I have literally every single song ever. Am I just going to listen to that one album? I don't know. I think too, there's also that element with when it comes to an analog format, listening to music, I feel like there's also a commitment, you know, a slight commitment involved. Like you can't even, even as opposed to like CDs, you can't just straight up skip song like that. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's something we've talked about a lot on the show It's just the, almost the ritual of putting a record on it just slows you down because i'm the Mm -hmm. same way man if i'm on my phone you know one of the things i like to do at the gym is put my entire phone i still use mp3s but i'll put my entire phone on on shuffle and i won't look at who it is because i find that if i look at the song that's coming up i'll skip it because i'm like i don't want to hear the cure right now but if i don't look and i just let the song happen i just go on whatever ride i'm on yeah. Yeah. And and the the tactile experience of music I think does that too. It's kind of a theme of the whole show. So you talk about practicing a lot. I don't know how I'm always like writing and making a record I feel like, so I kind of feel like that's practice. Absolutely. What's your practice world like? Cuz you not only do you play guitar, but you also you've been learning, you play steel well. You play a lot of other instruments, right? Yeah, so my practice routine is in my house I have a bunch of spinning plates on sticks. Mhm. 
and I'm running around and just trying to keep them all spinning. Because you joined the circus after after quarantine. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but like since I sort of my shtick in town has been being a multi-instrumentalist, I one day it'll be I'm really inspired to play steel guitar. And so I like recently I, I played some shows, believe it or not. And um, and I was just playing steel. So going up to that, it was just me playing pedal steel guitar the entire time. Um, but then sometimes I'll listen to like Joe Satriani or something. And I'm like, I want to play rock lead guitar or maybe I'll get in the dobro or whatever. So it's like, I kind of like just pick like one thing for a while and then stick in it a while. And then I like my attention pulls me elsewhere. Yeah. you you fascinate me in that way because in some ways you are like what I always aspired to be when I grow up, like, Oh, I'm going to. I'm going to find a thing and get really good at it, which I'm still waiting for that to happen to me. It still doesn't happen. I'm 37, <laughs> but it, maybe that'll happen. But it does remind me of how we met, which I do think is funny. So you're touring with Luke Combs, who I think is going to be doing okay. I think he's, I think a couple of people like Luke Combs out there. He's doing all right, yeah. But yeah. You, you were in the middle of, two, uh, of some sort of cycle with Luke, and you had a couple of weeks off, and we needed a guitar tech for like two weekends, I think. And because you're the special kind of person you are, you were like, I'll go be a guitar tech. I kind of want to check that out and never really done it before. And so you hopped on the bus with us for a couple of weekends and we met the first night in the front lounge of the bus, but I had no idea who you were. You didn't know who I was. And we didn't know that each of us loved Metallica. And what was it? The, the load necklace I had on or something. Somehow the conversation got started. Maybe we were sitting in the front lounge listening to music and you probably asked me like, like what music I was into. And I probably said my fair band was Metallica. Actually, you did have a load necklace. I think maybe, maybe that was it. I think you and noticed. I probably said, yeah, you, you, you recognized the star, the ninja star. Yeah. And that immediately, I was like, not any normal Metallica fan in 2020 is going to know what this ninja star means. So then it started becoming, you know, there's always that first 20 minutes where you're kind of sizing like, oh, okay, so what do you think about load and reload? Oh, okay. Oh, you know, like yeah. Jason or Cliff, you always, Ethan, you and I had that when we first met too. It was right, that same, yeah. like Ethan or Jason and Cliff load and reload. There's like those, you can put some like markers in the sand on certain issues with Metallica. And I think within 20 minutes, I was like, holy shit, this guy really likes Metallica. I think it's a part of feeling it out in a person, you know, if you're, you know, meeting someone for the first time and it's like, oh, you like Metallica too? Well, let's, let's test those waters. Let's see how far in the deep end we both can go. I'm definitely not as deep as, Y'all are for sure. What's a do people like Jason more than Cliff? Is that a thing? It's a thing. Yeah. I think I mean I think I might be in that camp a little bit just because of the albums that Jason made. Obviously, my friend of misery is awesome. But I was watching them play in the Jason era, play Creeping Death, and watching him scream, die.
I I was like, okay, I get why people love Jason <laughs> Newsom. I've never hated him, but I always thought Cliff was the guy, you know. But right. watching him scream die, I go, this guy is fucking awesome. Oh yeah, give me goosebumps. I think the more I go, the deeper I go into into the fandom, I can see that Cliff is the guy. Like Cliff's the guy, Cliff, because so much of Cliff's power still remains in the band. I think my affinity for Jason was just because of my age at the time the Black Album came Absolutely. out. But well, and so where does it start with you? Like, what's your Metallica? Give us the, the Metallica story for you, where you grew up, how it happened to you. All right, well, this is going to be super embarrassing, but hopefully it's somewhat entertaining <coughs> for the Metallica listeners out there. So uh, I'm sure everyone, at least I know, when you are growing up, you're still learning about music and listening, and you listen to what your parents listen to, but you also listen to like random pop music and stuff. So I was in like that, just learning about music. I think my first record was like, uh, no doubt. I had a no doubt record, which is cool. Mm-hmm. And then I also had like my uncle bought me the Spice Girls record. <laughs> and, and, and I also had this is the worst one. I had the Cisco record with the Thong Song guy. <laughs> and I also had an older brother who's old, my half brother, but he's 17 years older than me. And so he was already moved out and had kids probably by this time, but. Um, I was growing up and listening to all this like terrible pop music, Master P and like rap and stuff and some good rap too. But, um, my parents are so supportive of my music and they were like, Oh cool. Like listen to whatever you like, but they would always gently push me in a direction of Cisco. <laughs> no, away from Cisco. <laughs> and my, and I was just starting to play guitar, but I didn't really listen to like a lot of guitar music as a 10 year old. Um, and so my mom was like, it'd be cool eventually if you could learn the song Nothing Else Matters. And I was like, okay, like I never like listened to Metallica or anything. And then later on, uh, my mom is the one that drove me and my buddy Mark to Best Buy. And then we bought the first four Metallica records and then we would like share them. So like my mom was like the, what got me into Metallica because my brother listened to it beforehand. He's a huge Metallica fan. Wow. That's kind of interesting too that you you went from your mom suggesting you learning nothing else matters to going to Best Buy and buying the first Metallica records. Yeah, it was, um, I, I got the black album after like, you know, digging into those records, but I guess my buddy Mark and I decided we should just start at the first four. Yeah. And so he had, I forget how we split it up. I had the ride lightning and justice and he had puppets and kill them all. And like, the, I remember very vividly the moment I was going to be a Metallica fan for like ever. And I pro- it's one of those memories that just sticks in my head. And I kind of get goosebumps thinking about it. And I know Cliff, um, Cliff's not going to Cliff low, uh, probably won't agree with me because you're not a battery fan, but I was like listening to music while I was sleeping and I had a three CD changer and the beginning of battery started playing. I was like kind of nodding off. And then when it kicks in, like, I like sat up my bed. I was like, holy shit, like, this is awesome. And the guitar (laughs) piece and everything. And from that moment on, I was always sold on Metallica. Do you feel like you have an affinity for puppets because of that moment or for the song Battery because of that moment? I think so. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't know. Puppets is obviously up there for one of my favorite records of all time, but I don't know if it's my favorite Metallica one. But I, the intro to the battery is always like one of my favorite Metallica moments because of that. I thought I was thinking about this recently. Like, why, why am I? Because I'm a lightning guy and I have been for years well documented on the show. And I, I started thinking recently, why is that? Why am I a lightning guy? And I, I, it's funny that you just mentioned that you were kind of sharing with your brother. 
my little misfit group of friends too, none of us could afford all the albums at one time. So we would all trade uh-huh. albums too. And the one that I bought first was Lightning. And I think, and I was always the guy that had Lightning. So if someone wanted to borrow Lightning, Clint was the Lightning guy. Uh-huh. So I think that's actually why I became that way too. And and because I spent more time with that album, why Fight Fire would register with me more than Battery. Puppets is definitely the better record, like technically, but uh-huh. it's almost too clean. Or I, I, I don't know. I haven't really been able to suss all that out because it still it still occupies that sort of mysterious magical place of childhood and it should it should go without saying that even though i like it less than lightning i still think it's like a masterpiece so i I can totally see especially being a kid and going from that classical part of battery into the heavy stuff because ethan that's kind of your shit too like battery is one of your favorites absolutely and and i think too like at such a young age gravitating towards one particular metallica record has a lot to do with maybe what you finally spent your own money on um, cause, cause the first one I ever got was the black album just cause we were on vacation. I think I've told the story years ago on the podcast, but my dad bought it for me and I was just in love with it. And then, then going back, cause I knew, I knew of justice, but I didn't own it. Um, but I bought the black album when it first came out, my dad bought it for me. And then the first one I bought with my own money was master of puppets. And I think I wore that out so much because I spent my own money on it. Um, it was still in the big CD boxes too. And I just was obsessed with it because it was, this was mine. Like nobody paid for this, but me. And honestly, to tie that back into what we were saying at the top of the episode about, about uh, appreciating music and slowing down and not to harp on this too much, but I actually want to get Kurt's opinion about this too. I think that's a big part of the devaluation of music in the streaming pay 10 bucks for every song in the world era. It's because, yeah, if you had to put your own 10 bones down when you're a kid, you're going to listen to that album, even if you don't like some of the songs on it. Yeah. And I know in my experience as a kid, the songs that I didn't like at first usually ended up becoming my favorites. And if I hadn't have had that investment in it, where I'm like, I'm going to listen to this goddamn, the, the, the second half of this album, no matter what. I remember mm-hmm. doing that with the Black Album, because the Black Album is so stacked on the front half with bangers. So true. It's almost like you're just almost worn out by the end. But then, you know, we've talked about this on the show. We need to quit saying, by the way, that we've talked about this on the show, because... The show's four years long. We've <laughs> talked about everything on the show. It's all we've even interviewed Kurt confirm. before on the show. Uh, but dude, that back half of the album, the Black Album, is almost my favorite now with my friend in Misery and the God that failed, and of course, nothing else matters is back there. God that failed is so good, oh, so yeah. good. But the first half of the Black Album is so good that it's almost like uh, those songs were almost wasted on the album in the current era. Yeah, they should have done a Black Album and a Blacker album, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> none more black the black album ep so you're you're that's how you how you're like coming online with metallica when does that start to intersect with you playing music with you playing guitar did you ever learn nothing else matters i did yeah believe it or not So, and then like most kids in this time, I had a little garage band and we played Nirvana and Green Day and we played uh, For Whom the Bell Tolls, like a, our version of it, which I think is kind of maybe like the most accessible Metallica song for a garage band to play. I totally agree. We didn't play like the bridge, right? But, <laughs> and we only had one guitar player. So, but yeah. And then I just always was a big Metallica fan. And when I was a little kid, it was like, 
the the solo for like I don't know why, but like Sandman was like I remember driving around my mom had a Chrysler Sebring convertible and I would just rewind that solo over and over again. Like, it's so good. Even though it's not like the hardest song, you know, Kirk, solo Kirk's ever done. But for me, the Sandman solo is that that tail of it. That yeah. that to me was always like, whoa. It sounded so evil. Yeah, it's awesome. Did you and your friends ever have a thing where like because I was I had the same deal, same garage band where we would play like we would try Creeping Death, but then we would also play like Big Me by Foo Fighters. Mm-hmm. Did you guys ever have a thing of like these genres don't fit together? This doesn't make sense together. Oh, yeah, for sure. Especially when we were like trying to be more serious in high school. Yeah, it was like, oh, you know, like we're playing metal. We're not playing like this, you know, this kind of stuff like that. But it's all, you know, we play SDP and all that stuff too, kind of grungier stuff. Mm-hmm. Love it all, man. When did you come to Nashville? How did your Nashville story start? I was living in Boston. After I graduated high school, I went to Berklee College of Music and did music study guitar. Then I graduated and I was just like teaching guitar lessons and playing weddings and all this stuff. And then um, I had some friends that were living in town in Nashville that were doing really well that I went to school with that were like on bus gigs and, you know, making a living playing music as opposed to like me. I was like busing tables and teaching lessons and stuff. So I went and visited and I loved it. You know, I went to Red Door and the beers were $2. I was like, what? (laughs) When they were like $25 in Boston. And it was, there's so, there's music everywhere. I'm like, all right, I got to move here. So then I moved to Nashville. And uh, one of my friends, Mitch, that I went to Berkeley with was playing drums for Gary Allen at the time. And I was like, dude, how do you get a gig like that? That's so cool. And he's like, man, you could if you like, I, was, I start, just started playing Dobro. He's like, why don't you learn like fiddle or steel? And then, because a lot of acts hire multi-instrumentalists. I was like, okay, I'll do that. So I bought a pedal steel guitar and a fiddle. And I never got good at fiddle. But um, kept with the Dobro and banjo and stuff like that. And uh, got a gig touring. And always still been a Metallica fan through all of this, of course. But that's kind of how I ended up in Nashville. Let me ask you this. When you were out with us for those couple of weekends, did we have a fiddle player or was I playing fiddle? No, you had a fiddle player. Okay. It was Mark. Mark, okay, yeah. So you met Mark. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, shortly after that, Mark Mark left, and instead of getting a fiddle player, I pretended to play fiddle for a while. Oh, like you were like air fiddling? I had a prop fiddle, but the fiddle was coming through the tracks. Oh, my gosh. Oh, brutal. (laughs) I didn't even know that. It was brutal. That's a fact about Clint Wells that I did not know that he pl- that he, he played air air fiddle Dude, with a prop. It was only for a few months at the very end, and like we'd be on the road, and I'd have friends that would come out. You know, if we were in Denver or something. And ooh, buddy, having to explain that 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 was coming down the pike. So anyway. I mean, playing fiddle's hard, dude. I mean, playing steel's hard. The learning curve for all of that's pretty difficult. It's it's funny that you blow over that. You're like, well, someone told me to learn these five instruments, and so that's what I did. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I think it takes, uh, obviously, a lot of talent, but also a lot of dedication, because that shit's not easy to do. Yeah. Uh, steel guitar is still, and just, it's really tough. At least for me, it is. The hardest part is playing in tune for me. So I've gotten to the point where I can, like, playing tune sort of sometimes so that's good i feel like in our line of work that's that's the biggest thing but also like if you can learn like 10 tricks in like the five major keys like the 10 little hooks that people want in a steel 
you can really get away with a lot, you know? That's true. I think I, I just got it at first. I was like, if I could just play a few major key stuff, and I'll use it for sessions. And, and then now, like, I play it all the time. It's so fun. Steel's a fun instrument. I, I, I've never... I've never uh, dove into uh, pedal steel, but I own a couple lap steels. And uh, when I did borrow a pedal steel from a mutual friend, uh, John Davis, I was just overwhelmed. You know, I was I was I was used to six strings. This one had ten. You know, and I, I have these giant gorilla hands, and finger picks are uncomfortable for me. And I was just trying. And I, after like an hour, I was like, nah, I'm just going to stick to lap steel. I'm cool. <laughs> what are they normally tuned to? Like E, e flat is something weird like that. E nine sometimes. The single neck I play is E nine tuning. Yeah. Uh, so it's like low to high B D E F sharp G sharp B E G sharp, then back down to D sharp F sharp. So there's it's an it's like an E chord, but there's D and D sharp in it. Right. I think E nine is another common tuning on a six string. The C six is kind of the the Hawaiian sound. Mm-hmm. I, think, I think E nine E nine can kind of get that too, or it's kind of like the Texas shuffle thing. But then you've got yeah. all those foot controls that like bend half half notes and stuff too, right? Yeah, and the knees also. And there's the knee levers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I just got to put this out there in Metallica land, Lars. If you're listening and you guys are doing some acoustic shows, call me because <laughs> I'll play that stuff. Come on, let's go, dude. Kurt, you remember we were in? Um, I think we were in Montana because another thing we should talk about at some point is is your photography, which is amazing. Ethan's a photographer too. You guys both do amazing. Oh, right. Mm-hmm. Um, you guys both have such a good eye for that. But remember, we were somewhere and you were kind of getting into your photography stuff, and we were like, "Let's reach out to Ross Halfen." Um, yeah, I think I DM'd him. You, you sent him a DM while we were like having coffee, and did he never respond? Did he ever say anything? No. What was your bid to him? Didn't you like? Were you like, "Hey, man, I know you don't know me, but I don't know. Let me, uh, let me pull it up real Dude, quick." Should... Remember when you photographed Metallica? <laughs> That was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> that was awesome. I just said, hey, man, like, I'm a big fan of your work. I'm also a musician and I'm getting into photography. Let me know if you're in Nashville. Let's hang out. <laughs> Dude, that's not going to work. Direct and to the point, man. Let's hang out. Well, I remember we were talking. We were like, well, man, you just never know. Like, he might respond to that and be like, cool, I'll, I'll be there in a month. Let's get a coffee, you know? That totally can happen. I mean, that that's. You know, Clint knows that's how we got Hailstorm on our show to interview them and become friends with them. I literally just sent Joe, their guitar player, a DM on Instagram. And like 10 minutes later, it's like, cool, let's do it. That's awesome. So, Ross, if you're listening, I got to meet him one time at a festival and he was cool to me. But he it was when I was working for Kings of Leon and, and he was there photographing them. And I, since I worked for them, I think maybe I was, you know. I wasn't some weirdo trying to talk to him, but he was super nice. So to next me. time, Kurt, just tell him you're in Kings of Leon and then <laughs> maybe you'll get a response. So yes, I'm going to do that for sure. So one of the things that I'm interested in that I'm fascinated by, and Ethan's Ethan's comes from more from like rock and roll and, and ska and uh, how what the, the supertones are ska, right? Ethan, it's like ska rock, some reggae stuff. Yeah. So Ethan comes more from a more legitimate rock world. You and I are deeply embedded in the Nashville country scene and that has its ups and downs. It's actually, actually kind of a cool little world. Once you're in there, I never really thought I would end up there. I wonder if you ever did, but... Oh, absolutely. 100% no. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if you told me when I was like 17 that I would be playing banjo like on stage, I would be like, you're crazy. Right, right, right. But I mean, someone even wrote into me recently and bless their heart, they were being sweet, but you know, the, the tone was all weird, but it was like, why are you fucking with all this country music, bro? Like, why aren't you in a metal band? And I'm like, well, I like to 
make money and pay my bills, dude. So yeah, <laughs> life's a little complicated uh, when you grow up. So, uh, but anyway, it is interesting though, how when you get into this world and I've been sort of deep in the country world for almost 10 years now here in town, there are so many people like us in the bands of these. You would be really surprised at these big country bands and the mid-level ones and the small, all of them. How many of the, especially the guitar players, but also a lot of the drummers and even sometimes the artists are Metallica fans or metal fans or grew up playing hard rock or grew up, you know, playing Pearl Jam songs in a garage. Um, what's your experience been like with with fellow rock knuckleheads in the country world? Well, I just had a conversation with Luke's manager, Cappy, the other day. And he's like, Kurt, why do all you band guys dress like you're playing in a rock band for all these country acts? <laughs> I'm like, we all, because we all are rock guys. Like, a lot of us are. Like, it's like, here comes rock music. And then it was like, it just went away. And then, so everyone still likes to rock and play guitar and stuff. But but country music rocks now. Yeah, you know? I think country music kind of came towards rock a little bit, too. I mean, if you listen to, uh, like, Luke's song, Beer Never Broke Your Heart, it's like, it's in drop D flat and it's just riff city with solos. It's cool. It rocks. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I agree. And a lot of Jason Aldean stuff is real riff heavy. And yeah, um, it is interesting how, how in the last couple of years, let's say maybe the last five or six years, how in Nashville, the country music industry has adapted all these things from the rock world. Like I remember doing auditions for artists four or five years ago. And literally my, the, my friend that would have set up that audition telling me like, Man, you played great. Everything was sounded awesome, but like you just have too many tattoos. And now it's like you watch the CMA Awards, and it's like, what the heck? Everybody's covered in tattoos now. Yeah, yeah. it's like you were perfect for the gig. Could you get a couple of sleeves before the first show? Right. Yeah, I mean, it is interesting. I mean, the the a lot of the calls I've got, a lot of the country gigs I've gotten have been because I look like a rock guy. You know, I remember one of the first little auditions I did was for Jada Dryer, and. I remember her mom, who was like her manager at the time, telling me like, all the guys played great. We gave you the gig because you had long hair and, you know, wore a leather jacket or whatever. It's like, oh, shit. Wow. Okay. And you have a pentagram necklace, too. Right. My, you also dabble in satanic uh, rituals, so that always helps. I was playing the show, speaking of Gary Allen, opening for Gary Allen. Mm-hmm. And I got off stage, and I'm friends with his pedal steel guitar player. So he's like, dude, come on our bus. We're going to do a pre-show shot. Come hang out. And they were just listening to Ride the Lightning. <laughs> like pre-show just for fun so awesome yeah and they're just drinking listening to the album and yeah. i was like this is and this is like when i first started touring and i'm like i'm gonna love this job this is gonna be great like there's people that are out there like me that like the rock also it's not gonna be like what i thought it was when i was a kid country music was like chewing on hay and, and banjos <laughs> and like just so twang you know it's like there's different parts of country music that i think that'll people can get into. Yeah, I I totally agree and and I think I think maybe in the 80s it was kind of that. Uh, but I think honestly man starting with Garth, Garth Brooks was kind of like Bon Jovi in the 90s. He was mm-hmm. coming up from the stage in a spaceship surrounded by fog and he was flying through the arena. He but Garth Brooks was like the first country rock star. Yeah. And I actually think a lot of that 90s stuff is pretty dope. Like a lot of the Alan Jackson B&D Shania Twain Hell stuff is yeah. pretty killer. It's the, so good. But but I do in my mind's eye always see like the band were always like adults, like old guys. Now mm-hmm. I, now it's it's just clear to me that a lot of the dudes playing this music, they're not young guys, but they're hip, they're cool, they're rock guys. They're guys who grew up they're guys who love the Beatles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Uh I remember doing a lot of van country touring like 2011, 2012 and 
I was trepidatious about, you know, the van, when you're in rock tours, the van conversations are like Beatles versus the Stones or like the classic, you know, band guy arguments about rock and roll. And I remember getting in a van full of country dudes and being like, what are we going to talk about? Because I don't know who produced a fucking Alan Jackson album. Uh, You know what I mean? Like, I don't know who the country (laughs) world's versions of Daniel Lanois are so we can argue about Peter Gabriel albums, you know? But I was Mm. surprised to see that it was just the same conversations, man. It was like dudes who grew up playing Shake Your Money Maker and, you know, who loved Slash and shit like that. So, yeah. Also, another artist, I think that's in Metallica too, is Devin Dawson. Do you know him? I don't know him. No. Hey, you guys should get him on the the podcast. I feel like that would be, that'd be cool. So do your homework and check him out. He's a (laughs) songwriter artist in town. Does he need two guitar players, out of work guitar players coming up soon? He might, he might, I don't know. (laughs) Well, what's your, what's your current status with Metallica? Are you, do you keep up? Like, did you get hardwired? Are you, are you still keeping up with the Joneses in the Metallica world? Other than listening to the podcast, of course. I think like getting ready for SNM two was like my most recent like hype for Metallica. Yeah. Um, like I, I mean, I listened to the new records too, and there's some cool stuff. I think like some of it, I I get like into it, like I get immersed in the music, and then some of the lead, some of the newer lead stuff pulls me out of it a little bit. Mm-hmm. But like I love the riffs and like and I love all the songs and everything, so. That's kind of where I'm at on the newer stuff. I haven't like listened to it as much as like, you know, like Reload and earlier probably. Well, you were telling us before we started recording that your favorite post Black Album album is Lulu, right? Absolutely, yes. <laughs> Dude, I'm hyped for y'all. You guys have to do an episode on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We are. I'm kind of dreading it. It'll happen. But I think that album came out in 2011, and we're kind of working our way through the years, and we're at 2004, I think. So we still got a few months before we hit that plateau that will have to mm-hmm. involve vaccines and being in person and having alcohol. I think. Yeah, yes. Yeah. At, at least a bottle each. Brutal. Maybe you'll, maybe you can be there for us with it, Kurt. Who knows? I would love, man, I would love to. That'd be hilarious. I've actually, I own it on vinyl. A, a really generous li- listener sent it to me on vinyl for my birthday, but I've honestly never listened to it all the way through. I, I just, I'm, I'm sort of dreading it. Just save it. I need to save it for buddies for sure. So here's something I was hoping to talk about today on the podcast. It's tangentially related to Lulu is Metallica collabs. Mm -hmm. Because I know like Luke now he's like a famous country guy. He can like, people are always hitting him up to, to write or to hang out. And Mm -hmm. like he was on stone cold, Steve Austin's TV show recently, which I think is super cool. Yeah. I'm like, my dude, I know you have your management talk to Q prime or whatever mm-hmm. and get, a, and get a Skype right with James Hetfield or something. Cause like James is a country guy. Right. Has to be right. Yeah. So he probably listens to Luke's music. So you guys will do some sort of like crossroads thing where, you know, get something going. You could do it. You know, <laughs> that's funny. A Metallica Luke comes crossroads would be pretty amazing. Yes. It'd be fucking awesome. Yeah. Well, didn't J- James did something kind of like that here in town with Waylon Jennings. See, that's uh, unbelievable. I've never seen or heard of that. It's pretty cool. I'll, I'll send you a link to it when we're done. But yeah, okay. it, it is interesting that you, when you work for an artist that does have that kind of like power, because I, I bet not only does Luke get hit up, I bet he could reach out, like you're saying. And you know, Q Prime has a hub in Nashville. They have offices here. So I don't know how often Cliff Bernstein or Peter Minch like are here, but they definitely have like one of their four big offices is here in town. So... I'm sure there's crossover potential for them to at least like 
have a Skype call. I do wonder yeah. if James listens to modern country music. I, I like to think he's at least li- heard of Luke Combs and listened to him. Because like, like the Unforgiven Two music video, he's he's got the the butterscotch telly with the B bender. Yeah, come on, dude. I know he's gonna listen to it. Please, we, we know he owns cowboy hats. This is this is nothing new. Oh man, um, and he hunts and yeah, you know all that. So and speaking of, can you uh, tell Luke to stop hitting me up to write? It's getting really old. <laughs> <laughs> yes, please get in line, brother. He told me he wanted to make make a reggae record, and I just don't have the time right now to make one with him. So I get it. Luke's interesting too, I think, because it, correct me if I'm wrong, Kurt, but Luke writes a lot of his own shit, right? Yeah, he writes all of it, and that's He's a, a co-writer on right. every song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's, I mean, that's actually starting to become more popular with artists like Luke and Marin Morris is another artist that kind of cracked into like she Mary Morin takes no outside rights, which is really, you know, for me as a songwriter, a publishing deal, I often get, I often get like <laughs> recon on who's looking for what. It's just a really mm-hmm. normal thing to see a huge list of songs and very specific things that like Garth Brooks wants for his next album. And if it says Mary Morris next to it, I haven't seen Luke yet, but if it says Mary Morris, it says no outside cuts. It just doesn't happen. And Taylor's like that too now. And, it's actually pretty cool, I think, in the country music. I think Luke has a lot of credibility when it comes to writing. And I bet that's something James would appreciate. Well, I'm just putting it out there in the ethos. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, well, James listens to the show. So every, no every single, every no, single episode. There's no problem there. He just waits by his phone for it to, to, to light up and Ding. say there's another Metal Up Your Podcast episode. You have no idea how, how many emails we ignore from James Hadfield. Oh, my God. Like, uh, James, it's 2 in the morning. I wonder if you guys have played whatever arena is over out in Colorado somewhere. I wonder if James has been to one of your shows. Although, I, you, you would probably know if he was. No, I would, I would know for sure. What would you say if he came to a gig? Because that's you, you, you play on a gig where it's real possible that, that people of that caliber would just show up and hang out. Yeah, I mean, I remember one time I was checking the day sheet, and for those in podcast land that don't know what a day sheet is, it's like a schedule for the day when you're on the road. And uh, and I was like, oh, you know, like catering at noon, blah blah blah. And then at seven o'clock, it was like hang out with Chad Kroger. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I was like, what? And. Yeah, so we all hung out with Chad Kroger like before the show, and he was telling us about like life on the road and vocal warm ups and songwriting and how to work on your relationship while you're away from your girl and wow, you know, you, this kind of stuff. You guys really did the whole thing, huh? <laughs> that covers yeah. a lot of ground, dude. Yeah, so I mean, like he's been out to a show, but now we need to get James to come out. Hmm. So what kind of advice what kind of, can you can you share the advice that Chad Kroger gave you with us and our listeners? I, actually, I think he's a pretty good songwriter. I've said this for years now on the show. The song Photograph I Love. I would listen to him about tips on songwriting. He's written a lot of big hits. That's for sure. I mean, he's a funny guy. Um, after the show, like we were having some beers, or whatever, and I was like, "Hey, man, uh, I'm sorry I downloaded your songs on Napster without paying for them." <laughs> <laughs> and he said, he said, you know, uh, I should, you know, he's like, I literally got an award from Napster for most pirated song for this is how you remind me. I was like, wow. I don't wow. feel so bad anymore. <laughs> right. Well, but, like, the advice the that he's given us to answer your question was like, taking care of yourself on the road. And, you know, like when you're gone for a while, like talking about with girls, like your, your wife or whatever, like calling home and being there and not getting too distracted and just stuff like that. And he was singing for us, like his vocal warmups and that dude could sing, man. It's awesome. I was like, Whoa, singing, he was singing scales and stuff. Like he, he takes his voice seriously. I think, 
All right, this is we're going to dip into a little bit of tangent city here, but we're all friends. We can do this. We can do that. Come on. I think there are a few. There are a few areas of the history of recorded Western rock and roll music where crimes have been committed. Okay, now let me see. I've never really articulated this, so you'll have to bear with me. A band like Creed. Okay, the backlash to Creed to me makes sense because. I mean, everyone forgets that they sold like a hundred million albums. They got I so was definitely a few of those. They, I had all the first three. I had the whatever. What's the first human one? Clay, weathered, human clay. Weathered. I had human clay. Human clay is the second one, right? I thought it was the first. I don't. I thought it was the first we don't one. even know, do we? I had the weathered one, and then I had the whatever the second one was. What's the one there, where their where their their uh, photo is carved weathered into the tree? That's weathered. Is that weathered? One, yeah. Okay. So, but anyway, the, the there was a massive backlash to Creed. I'm sure you guys remember. It wasn't that long ago where they became mm-hmm. like the most stinky band of all time. That's not a crime. That all everything's accounted for in the universe and God's universe, and that all checks out cosmically. Uh, a crime column I would put in the hatred for Coldplay. Coldplay is a, an amazing band with great songs, and everyone hates them now. It makes no sense to me. That's I haven't some, heard that. Yeah, I'm, they, I'm not. They got real uncool. Like liking Coldplay became this like huge cultural joke. Yeah, which is a crime. I would submit to you all that the hatred for Nickelback, and believe me, I don't have any of their albums, and they are there are parts of Nickelback that are annoying and cheesy. Yeah, Rockstar, Rockstar song too. But whatever. but but I think the sheer hatred for them is a crime. It, it's it it got out of hand, man. Remember when people signed the position, petition to have them not play? People were throwing rocks at them on stage. Look up people throwing rocks at Chad Kroger. That's that's fucked up. Yeah, it's like, man, why do people hate Nickelback so much? Because it's because it's butt rock? Because it was successful? I guess maybe it's... A lot of their stuff was kind of maybe repetitive or sort of like generic sounding maybe. Right. I don't know. I mean... Three Doors Down was kind of the same way, but no one threw rocks at them. <laughs> Not yet. I would say that a lot of it has to do with his voice because it, it is kind of in that Scott Stapp ballpark. The kind, a well, bit Scott of that. Scott Stapp's in the in the Chad Kroger ballpark, wouldn't you say? I mean, I don't know who was around first. I don't, I, I'm not that deep on either band. <laughs> yeah, I don't really know which. Are, one wait, hang on. Are you are you a Nickelback true? <laughs> uh, well, I mean, like now Chad Kroger and I are best friends. Right. He saved. But, you have to uh, save your relationship with that great advice. Yeah, true. Well, you know, a mutual friend, I don't know if you know him, Kurt, Tony Lacido, a bass player in town. He's done a few sessions with Chad, and he he has funny stories, kind of like similar to yours, where he's kind of goofy, gives goofy advice and stuff. But he said in general, he was super cool, really down to earth, really kind of aware of, you know, the cultural, you know, summation of his career, can poke fun at it. But also, just like with Creed, sold a lot of albums. Dude made a lot of money. And had a lot of legitimate success. So much crazy stuff. Like, he was just telling us stories, and it was just like, wow. Insane how big that band was. So, let's talk a little bit about your photography. So, that's not just something you've been doing on lockdown, right? You were interested in that when we were on the road before. Yeah, I um, I just got into it because we have a tour photographer that was sending us images of like us on stage. And they were just awesome. And I was like, wow, this guy's so good, like insanely good photographer. And I, after a few months of being on the road with this guy, I'm like, hey, like, will you teach me how to do this? His name's David Bergman, by the way. And he was like, yeah, if you buy a Canon camera, then, you know, for legal reasons, I'll teach you. Because he's like sponsored by Canon or whatever. And, uh, and I mean, he was joking when I said that, but I was like, okay. So I did. And then he's just been kind of teaching me as I go along. And 
I've got to shoot like a lot of cool artists playing. Um, just, you know, people we open for or people that open for us, I've gotten to photograph a lot of artists and I get a little more, uh, access because I'm like playing for an artist. So security doesn't kick me out. Like they kick the press out a lot of times. So like I shot an entire Willie Nelson set, like where I was the only photographer in the pit. I've gotten to shoot like John Mayer, um, Neil Young, and just like, and, uh, and everyone in the country world basically. So, um, a lot of, you know, concert stuff. And then I do like portrait photography in town for like album covers and stuff. That's kind of one of the, uh, the perks of doing photography and being a touring musician is that you have that access. I, <clears throat> that's the same way for me. I mean, I, my mom was a photographer and I, I did some like photo classes, like in early junior college before I really started touring. But I really kind of dove in the deep end of photography maybe 12 ish years ago, 13 years ago on, on, uh, on the Vans warp tour. I just really, I never brought my camera gear on the road for some reason. I, Cause I was, I was a drummer in this band at the time. I just don't want to bring extra stuff. And so one tour, I just decided to bring it and I was like, wow, I could literally spend all day on warp tour just shooting bands. Cause there's like 150 bands in that tour. And like you said, I have the all access pass and my band was playing the main stage at the time. So it's like, the second they kick the security, you know, the press out after three songs, it's like, I just show them that. And they're like, okay, you can stay, you know, then I can go on stage and stuff. And that's, that's, you know, anyone I know that's, that's a touring musician that is even considering getting into photography. I'm like, do it. You have, you will have access that, that most photographers don't, you know, unless they're a touring photographer, of course. And also, you know, it's a great way to network also because everyone needs photos of themselves these days. So it's like, Hey, I don't know you, but I made a good image of you. You're yep. welcome to post it on your social media, and then oh, cool. And then they not hire you later on, or whatever. Are you that friends with them? That first that first warp tour that I really took it serious was, that was 2008. Um, How many fisheye lenses did you have with in your kit? You know what? I've actually never owned a fisheye. Yeah, me neither. I always just borrowed them from friends, but um, I, I, I the lens I was using was fairly wide, which was good, but um, like an 18, but um. Back then, I, I would, like what you were saying, like, you know, you, approaching an artist that you don't know, like, hey, I just took these photos of you, here you go. I would literally go find whatever band I shot, like when they're waiting in line at catering in like 110 degree weather, and hand them a burned CDR of, of their of their photos. Because I, I, I didn't have a Dropbox account back then or an easy way to send them to them. So I, I just went and bought a spool of CDs and went burn them in the back lounge on the bus and then like write the name of the band on it and go, go give it to them. That's really cool. So you were shooting digital then, of course. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. It's also, too, just, I mean, this goes back to the, the, the great Kroger advice, the great Chad Kroger advice of 20-whatever that was. Um, having something to do with your time, you know? Mm-hmm. When you're headlining a gig, there's a lot of waiting around. Like, at that level, other people are setting up your equipment. You don't really have anything to do until, unless you're present for a sound check. You don't really have anything to do until the show. So for some people, depending on what your habits are like, that can get really dicey. So finding healthy things to do during that time, like learning a new a new craft, you know, Mark, this guy we used to tour with, and I would even do it too if I was writing, we would take out recording rigs with us so we could work on music, doing photography, exercising, anything other than just sleeping all day. Blowing all your drinking. per diem on vinyl. <laughs> I was always yep. pretty good at that, yeah. No doubt, I've seen it. <laughs> I've seen I remember it. you used to go, yeah, you used to go with us to the shops, but you would you were laying low on that, but you would watch us blow through it pretty quick. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't even have a, I don't even have a record player. So. Right. 
I haven't gotten bit by that yet. Another thing I do remember about you on the road is that you were super into chess. Yeah, I bought a couple of chess books when you we were, were out. On that you run. were buying chess books. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. Are you still wow. playing chess? I, I was playing while we were texting this morning. Did you see the Queen's Gambit? Yeah, it was awesome. I loved it. Yeah. It was killer. I thought about you when we were watching that. I was like, I have a friend that's really into chess. I played I've had a few people text me about it, actually. I played you one time when we were like in our bunks. And yeah. It wasn't super fun being beat like that, so I don't think we ever played again. Yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> but you're one, of, you're one of those dudes. It's like anything you you learn how to do it and you get really good at it, and it's admirable and annoying at the same time. It's a wonderful stew. Yeah, as hard as fiddle is and steel guitar, chess is just even harder. Yeah, it's like the hardest. I mean, it's easy to learn, like to learn the rules, but to be like good is like. It's impossible, I feel like. Do you feel like you had to know a lot about chess to really appreciate that show? Like, were, no. they, do, were they doing real moves? Yeah, actually. Um, so Gary Kasparov, who was top three players to ever play, and he was world champion for a while. Um, he's the guy that first, he's the first grandmaster to lose to a chess computer, if you remember that deep blue. I don't know yeah. if that's in your consciousness at all. But <laughs> he was a, a consultant for that show. So he helped, like, pick the moves. Okay, that's cool. And they hire another chess. I can't remember the guy's name. He's an IM that like coached the actors on like what hands to hit the clocks with and move the pieces so that they looked realistic. Yeah, it's amazing that they don't hire someone like that when there's a scene in a movie with a band playing in the background, and you hear hi hat by the guys on the ride symbol. Yeah, I want to. I want that job. I was just watching the Crossroads Steve Vai guitar duel, and I think that. The Karate Kid guy did a really good job of, you know, getting the slide, you know, as good as he could have been. That is so any any movie where people are playing guitar, that's like the continuity of it looking real is always what they somehow get all that wrong. Yeah. I mm-hmm. think that thing you do is one of the greatest movies for that where they got a lot of the it looks real. And mm-hmm. dude, you're so right because not only it's Ralph Macchio. Ralph, that's his name. Thank you. Big ups yeah. to Ralph By Macchio. The way. By the way, Ralph Macchio, and because uh, he listens, he's a big Metallica fan. But dude, he's playing—he's playing a lot of like you know. Ry Cooter did all that guitar for his part, mm-hmm. so Ry Cooter is no joke. That stuff's really hard to play right, and a lot of Ry Cooter's playing was about his touch and his feel. And I agree, man. Ralph Macchio did a great job. And if you guys haven't seen Crossroads, it's—I it, guess it's like loosely the story of Robert Johnson selling his soul at the Crossroads to be able to play. And so at the end, he has the big show off with, I guess, Steve Vai's the devil. Yeah, I think Steve Vai, like at that big duel, yeah, kind of is dueling with himself. What do you mean? Like, so in in the scene, he's playing the really crazy electric guitar, and then there's like the blues stuff yeah. slide, and then at the end, the climax, he starts playing all that classical stuff. Oh yeah, really that's fast. Steve Vai. Yeah, yeah. It's so, called uh, it's called Eugene's Trick Bag. It's 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 actually a Niccolo Paganini piece. Yeah, it's like a Caprice or whatever. It's Caprice, yeah. Yeah. I definitely had my days of trying to, I had my days where I was like trying to be that guy where I had the G three albums. I wonder if you had this experience, Kurt, where like I was trying to play Cliffs of Dover, trying to make it sound right. And there came a point where I had to accept that like I'm never gonna be that kind of guitar player that's gonna play super clean. Yep. I had to just accept that my flavor is a flavor and switch my energy into leaning into whatever my voice is rather than trying to emulate that. Did you ever have that particular forgive the uh, callback crossroads moment? Yeah. I mean like wanting, wanting to shred, you know, was like, 
my goal as a kid. I wanted to be able to play the one guitar solo and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And then later on, I wanted to be able to play Dream Theater stuff. And um, so I'm always reaching for that, but you can't always do that. So there's definitely something we said for being creative within a certain realm and within certain limitations, I think can make you a more creative person. So definitely for sure. Yeah, I agree. Like you're learning how to play steel so that you can get certain gigs that do it. At what point do you, I guess, cause I guess if you were really hard on yourself, you could say, well, I'm not ready to, to go do a gig, but there's a certain point where you're learning it. Someone offers you to do it and you jump in the deep end and go try to do it. I think a lot of people, I think a lot of people subconsciously avoid taking chances on what they want to do with the excuse of they're not good enough to do it yet. Uh, I'm, I've lived that. And, uh, but I'm the opposite. I just say yes to everything and then learn to do it afterwards. Like I'll give you an example. I, I hope Michael Ray is a a country singer in town and he's a guy I played in his band for a couple of years. Cool guy. But when I got the gig, they're like, Hey, we want you to play the band. I'm like, okay, cool. I accepted the gig. And then afterwards the tour manager's like, Hey, you sing background vocals, right? Cause you're going to be singing all the background vocals. And I was like, yep. (laughs) And this was like end of October. And our first gig was January. And I'm like, yeah, I do that. And then I, I did not do that. I'm not a singer at all, (laughs) but what I did do is I knew some vocal teachers. So I just took vocal lessons once a week for two and a half months, got the gig and then sucked at first, then got better. Yeah. You know, same thing with steel, you know, like I wasn't ready to tour when I was playing steel and I would listen back to like the board tapes, like recordings. And I was like, uh Oh, you know, but like I fake it till you make it baptism by fire. I guess. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I've done the same thing doing an audition. They're like, can you play slide? Absolutely. Can I, can I play slide? No. Uh, you know, can you, and now if someone asks me if I can sing BGVs, I actually can. But if they ask for that tight second harmony, which I can't really do, I've never yeah. said, I've never said no to that. Not one time. The answer is always yes, for sure. Always yes. It's like always. the Ghostbusters scene when they ask if, if he's a god and he says no. And then Winston says, if anyone ever asks you if you're a god, you say yes. <laughs> yeah. That totally applies. All right. So absolutely. Let's let's do some Metallica talk here at the end. I'm curious about the answers to these questions. If you had to just there's no right or wrong answer, of course. Just just shooting from the hip. Favorite Metallica album? Ah, justice. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> You said justice. I trust that. That's my second okay. favorite. I feel like that. I feel like that was your that was your gut instinct. That for sure was. I could see it. I know, but we were talking about Black Album. I'm like, God, that is such a good record. But then also, you're talking about Ride Lightning. I'm like, that is such a good record. Well, it's going to get harder from here on. Okay. Favorite favorite Metallica song. Oh man, I literally don't know. It could also be just something just currently. It doesn't have to be of all time. Like my current one, I mentioned Unforgiven too. That's just been like my jam for whatever reason. Although I do think that Unforgiven One has like one of the best guitar solos.
totally yep. agree. If you had to choose between Unforgiven One or Two, which would you choose? Uh, the solo for Unforgiven One and Unforgiven Two. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I just like. I just love. I love Unforgiven Two. I'm just been in that vibe recently. I man, Unforgiven Two is in my top ten favorite Metallica songs of all time. Yeah, I completely. It's also agree. like my go-to when I'm drunk at a bar. We used when I used to go to bars, karaoke. I would sing that, and like no one cares. Oh it's my like, gosh, dude! I would love to see you sing that. That's not an easy song to sing because it's so low, and then it gets high. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Favorite member of Metallica, James. Yeah, that's the correct answer. I think. That's Although a, I think mine, correct, might, yeah. I think mine might be Lars a little bit now, though. Yeah, I think in hindsight, like. I remember, like, when the Napster thing came out, a lot of people were shitting on him. I'm like, why are you mad at him? He's right. The whole yeah. pirating thing, but... Absolutely. It took it took a decade or two for it to really flesh yeah. out. But, yeah, I absolutely agree. It took the record industry collapsing for everyone to realize. <laughs> oh, he was right. All right. I have, some other, I have some other questions that I think are interesting that just tell us a little bit about you that may not be related to Metallica. You ready for that? Sure. Okay. Do you believe in ghosts? No. <laughs> I had very many like 3 a.m. conversations with band members, you know, closing down bars about this. Me too. And I Me do too. not. Me too, dude. Me too. That's interesting. Uh, who inspires you and who do you aspire to be like? Present company notwithstanding. Well, I guess, you know, like I have my, in my photography, I have Bergman is the guy that inspired me. And I do inspi- aspire to be to that level in my his photography. You do realize that you're blowing it by not mentioning Ross Houghton. Yeah, that's true. Actually, <laughs> that would be cool. But um, obviously, like James is, I just think he's like the coolest musician like ever. So, but I'm not a, as big of a songwriter as he is. But you talk about Eric Johnson, like I would love to be able to play like him. Holy cow. Could you imagine? That'd be so be awesome. cool. A guy I tour with a lot named Bob Schneider, his drummer, Wayne, is Eric Johnson's drummer. These are all Texas cats. Mm-hmm. And growing up being an Eric Johnson guy, anytime me and Wayne are on tour, I'm always just asking him a million questions about Eric. And he says that Eric is the nicest guy in the world, like great boss, great guy, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. He did say, although, and this is the price of his genius, is that he's just extremely critical of himself and ex- yeah. kind of intense about being perfect. So yeah. he, he says they do four hour sound checks a day. Yeah, I've heard and, that. And that after every show, it's a lot of notes. And wow. I've seen these shows, and to me, and I'm no dummy, you know, I'm I know what's good and what's not good. I mean, they seem really perfect to me. This is just the, it's they always play in a trio. It's a bass player, a drummer, and Eric. And Eric even sings a lot. He's a really pretty voice, but they're immaculate players. And to like play that way which you and I occurred and Ethan maybe too like dream of, and then to still feel like it wasn't good enough. I don't know if I would trade for that. Cause that sounds pretty tough. Yeah. yeah. A buddy of mine in town, uh, is a, is Eric's front of house guy. So one day when we can, we'll go get a beer somewhere and we'll hang out with Pat. Shout out to Pat. Woo. I would love to do that. All right, Pat, hey, let's do Talk a few more of these because we're learning a lot about you. Which would be harder for you to give up coffee or alcohol? Coffee. For sure. This is a great question. I think if you had asked me in my 20s, I might have said give up. You know, it'd be hard to give up alcohol. But um, I just, coffee's so great. That's the best. Ethan, for you, would it be vegan cheese or vegan sausage? Wait, are you vegan, Ethan? Uh, not 100% anymore, but I, I was for a long time, yeah. I am. Oh, I didn't, I didn't know that. I, yeah. basically, I basically just, uh, 
only thing I really reintroduced was eggs, mm-hmm. uh, just because I buy them from a buddy's farm out in Watertown, Tennessee. But uh, you know, other than that, I, 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 I still primarily eat vegan. Cool. Be How many bad. times have you guys seen Metallica? Uh, five for me. I think what six? Six for you, Clint? Oh no, you've seen like eight. I, my first show was December of '99, and it was like with Kid Rock and like maybe like Seven Dust or something, mm-hmm. some lineup like that. And well, yeah, they did a big Y2K tour. So was Ted Nugent? Was it like Seven Dust and? It wasn't Ted Nugent though. Okay, that might have been the. And, he uh, came out when they played Michigan, but I think they did like a five date run. Was this in Florida? Yeah, it was in. Um, or yeah, it was in Florida. Let's see. I've seen him three times. I think it was in December '99. There was a bunch of times uh, growing up in California where they would come through town, and it, like when I was in high school, like or I guess would have been. Uh, early high school, the the Guns Metallica tour happened, and my parents were oh, like, "No, you're, you're not going to that." And I was so bummed out. But anytime they come through Southern California, uh, at that point, I was already tour. I started touring when I was 18, and so I just never got to see them. Anytime they played Southern California, I was somewhere else in the world, and I was I was so bummed. So I didn't get to see the first time until '09. Was this in Miami or St. Petersburg? Miami. All right. So let's at the Orange Bowl. Let's check out. Yeah, Orange Bowl. They opened with "Die My Darling." Fuel, Bells, Horsemen, Whiskey in the Jar. They played two by four. Holy shit. No Leaf Clover, Sabbath True, Creeping Death, Bleeding Me, the live premiere of Master Terrium, Blackened, which was the first time they'd played it since 1990. Whoa. Nothing Else Matters, King Nothing, One, Turn the Page, Sandman, and then they played Phantom Lord, which was the first time they've played Phantom Lord since 1989. Dude, you saw an amazing show. That's a pretty killer show, dude. I know. I feel like... This was also another interesting moment for me, and I something clicked in my brain when I saw a, a girl singing along to guitar solos and air guitaring. Like this guy, her, this girl was doing it. Like she obviously wasn't a guitar player, but the guitar playing was so like the solos are so catchy that like she some chick was singing along. I was like, this this band has got something. Like I was already in love with them, but like it just like further cemented their greatness in my mind. Yeah. It was the first time I smelled marijuana. Also, yeah, all these things re- are really powerful, like powerful first experiences for sure. That was that was nineteen ninety four for me when I when I saw Rush for the first time. It was oh the first hell yeah! I, I was on the Counterparts tour. It was when I first smelled weed. I was like, all the Rush fans were like smoking weed during the Rush concert and playing chess. Exactly. <laughs> they actually they, they actually gave you a free chess board when you walked. I'm sorry, Rush, it wasn't so. chess. It was Dungeons and Dragons. I think. I oh. also am a fan of Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Um, I saw them in, in Orlando also, and I, it was in Orlando, and I want to say like Lincoln Park and Limp Bizkit were on the bill. It might have been like 2003 or four. And I remember one, I think it was Limp Bizkit played like Sanitarium opening up for Metallica. Yeah, because they'd covered that for the Icons episode. Yeah, I was going to say, I wonder if it was around that time. Was this at the Florida Citrus Bowl? That sounds right. They open with Battery, Puppets, Harvester of Sorrow, Sanitarium, Bells, Frantic, Sabbath True, St. Anger, No Remorse, Seeking to Destroy, Blackened, Fuel, Nothing Else Matters, Creep, One, Sandman. Dude, Blackened is such a good song. That I could be up there for one of my favorites. That's a Jason tune, right? He's got a lot of riffs on that. Yeah, yeah that, that main riff. The main one. It's crazy that that the band didn't play Blackened for almost 10 years. I know. What the hell? It's so That's weird. Insane. Ego, man. They probably didn't want to like give Jason props or something. I don't know, you guys know more in that than I do, but it's an interesting theory. 
We'll have to. I'll, I'll text Jason when this episode ends. Oh, the old the Jason props theory. <laughs> yeah, I know that one. Kurt, if you had 24 hours to do whatever you wanted in the city of Nashville, what would you do? Uh, assuming that there's no lockdown. Can I answer? Can, can I answer for him? Uh, I'm going to say a pedal tavern. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! Man, I have no idea. Um, I guess sit at my house and play guitar, or watch TV. I don't know. I don't know. I love that your answer to that was sit in your house. <laughs> you see, I, I, this pandemic, it's fucking terrible, obviously, but I have been enjoying being home. So at the end of 2019, we played two nights at Bridgestone and that was uh, awesome. And so I would say play a show Bridgestone right now and I have all my friends and my family came out and that was the best. Have you ever played the Ryman? I have played the Ryman, yeah, a few times. Okay, wonderful. Um, I'm so happy. For, I'm so happy for you, Kurt. <laughs> we give Ethan a lot of shit because he's he's been in amazing, huge bands and somehow has never played the Ryman. He's the only guy I know that hasn't. Let me ask you guys a question. Okay. All right, if, what's your ideal dream venue to play? The Ryman. <laughs> okay. I, I honestly, and, and and I'm not saying that because it's it's a, a, a long running joke on the show. I've I have gotten to play a lot of my dream venues, especially in California where I grew up. Um. But literally, the Ryman is like one of the last like golden ticket venues that I've not gotten to play. Yeah, I think for me, I, I w- I'm lucky too, where I got to play all the big ones. I mean, not uh, in the states. I haven't played like Royal Albert Hall or anything, but mm-hmm. I have played like O2 stuff in the UK. But um, I played like Shepherd's Bush in the UK. A couple of cool little yeah, bigger, bigger rooms there. Mm-hmm. But in the states, I've I got to do Hollywood Bowl and Radio City and the yeah. Gorge, and I got to do. I wasn't. I wasn't the headliner, but opening for big bands. But I think in general, man, my favorite venue to play is a big ass club that's packed. You, oh, yeah. a, a theater can come close to that, like a theater gig. But arenas are great; they're, they're they're what they are. Small little clubs are fine. Big sheds and shit are all fine. The best dude is a big old club. Packed. Oh yeah. Have you played Billy Bob's? I have played Billy. Billy Bob's is a little too big for me. That's that, Billy Bob's. You're talking about in Texas in uh in yeah. Fort, Fort Worth. Yeah. For people who don't know, Billy Bob's is probably. I mean, how many people would fit in Billy Bob's? Forty five hundred, five thousand. There's yeah. another stage at the far end where usually like a house band or a cover band plays in between sets. There's like a mechanical bull in the middle. It's a big, huge, massive venue and kind of a rite of passage in in Texas. I do yeah. like Billy. I'm sure you guys crush Billy Bob's. Like you guys probably do multiple nights there. We sold it, or Luke sold it out. Which is cool is like if you sell like a thousand tickets or something, then they leave some tables in to fill it up. Yeah, right. But if you sell a lot of tickets, then they pull the seats out, and yeah. that's what we did. And it was asses elbows in there, and it was awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's pretty fun. Pretty fun flavor in Texas. But um, for me to answer my own question, I would love to play. Um, <laughs> I guess we should have kicked it back to you at some point, huh? <laughs> have you guys ever played Station In? I've always wanted to play Station In. I've played Station In. I never played that. No. Is it still? Is it still operating? Yeah. yeah. I remember. I remember when I first got to town, the Time Jumpers used to play there. Yeah. yeah. And for those of you for out there who don't know, the Time Jumpers is like Vince Gill. I think Jerry Rowe was on drums at the time. It's just sort Paul of a, Franklin on steel. It's just a Nashville super band that play these old classics. They do it at Third and Lindsley now, or did. I tell you, I'd, I'd love yeah. to play a sweaty rock show at the end. I've never played the end. Really? Oh God, I've played the end so many times. The end is is Nashville CBGB. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah which our, our our version of that in Birmingham is called the Nick. And I miss that. I've played Exit In, which is kind of mm-hmm. bigger. Yeah, I love Exit In. That's what I, I don't ex- know if the. 
Exhibition is probably my favorite, favorite venue in Nashville. What's your favorite venue in Nashville, Kurt? Um, favorite venue in Nashville? I don't know. I mean, like, it was fun. Like, we got to play Nissan, which was cool. I mean, that's just, it's just cool because it's big, you know? It was just an experience. But um, playing the rhyme, I'm sorry. <laughs> but playing the rhyme was cool. Um, playing the Opry is cool. Yeah. It's, um, I mean, it's not cool. It's, it's a whole, it's amazing. I almost want to say, yeah, it's like a religious experience sort of in a way. It for, sure is. It. It for sure is. Yeah. The night, one of the nights, the one of the last times I played the Opry, um, it was Trisha Yearwood's like 20th anniversary of being inducted. So she was there. Garth was in the house. They came out and did a duet. Um, like huge, huge heavy hitters were there that night to celebrate wow. them. And you know how the backstage is there. Like everyone's just sort of walking around and all the dressing yeah. rooms are really close. And it's like, wow, there's Garth Brooks. And when, and like all the bands that played that night all stayed, like usually you do your couple of songs and split, but everyone stayed just to watch Garth and Trisha. And it was pretty clear, like why they are who they are. I mean, it was really magical and really, cool. yeah, really, really unpretentious really and cool. And, well, what's next for you, dude? What's uh, what's the future with Luke look like uh, as the world begins to slowly open back up? Well, we have some shows in March in Europe, which are not, definitely not happening. <laughs> and uh, we have some shows in the spring that are definitely not happening. And uh, <laughs> so, this you know, actually, stuff. this is good news. This is great. Yeah, uh, though, but we do have a show in February. We are playing a pre-show race for the Daytona 500. Okay. And I'm from Florida, so I get to see my parents, I think. We'll see how my COVID tests do. But assuming I'm clean, then I will uh, get to go see them, which I haven't seen them in a while. So that'll be great. Is there any, uh, any? I- I'm not really familiar with what he's put out recently, but is there any new Luke Combs music you can talk about that's come out recently or on the horizon or anything like that? Well, he kind of just put a record out now. Um, was it last year and the last year? So right. it's all you're kind of like we're in the middle of like the CD cycle with him. Here's what's fascinating to me about that. So when the, let's say that touring is kind of normal again a year from now, like so next spring, Mm -hmm. which is probably the most realistic I can think of. uh, What do, what do artists like Luke who put out at the pinnacle of his, he's, he's moving up and up and up. He puts out a great album. This whole cycle kind of goes bye-bye in terms of being able to support it. What do artists like him do? Do they just relaunch that cycle or do they move on and put out a new album? Well, he put out like an extended version of his record, I think. And so the next, probably the next couple singles will be from that. His singles are like, they're, they're not on the charts very long. You know, it's not like some artists, like a new country artist works a single at radio for 50 weeks. It's like him and it's like 17 weeks or whatever. So there's a new single out every less than every half year. So, right. It's cool. So he's, I mean, he's still writing a lot. Like he writes all the time. Yeah. So, and uh, there's some stuff that I can't talk about, but yeah. um, there's, he's just cranks out the hits. This guy's so good. He's such a good writer. It's scary. He's also kind of as a, as a writer who writes a lot of country songs too. He's a breath of fresh air. His, his songs are very straight down the middle. They hit all the right spots. He's it's makes it seem possible and effortless and easy. It's it's very cool what he's doing. I think mm-hmm. is one of the things you can't talk about. Uh, Luke Combs' thirty night residency at the end. <laughs> I hope so. 
How cool would that be? Yes. It'll, maybe at the Ryman. 30 nights at the Ryman. <laughs> there you go. Beat Jason Isbell's record. Where can people yeah. find your... Let's say people want to get interested in your photography and stuff. Where can people find your world? Do you have a presence online somewhere? Yeah, I have a website. Uh, it's kurtozon.com, believe it or not. And also, you know, I post a lot of photos on Instagram, too, if you want to follow me. Uh, it's at kurtozon251. What's the 251? Is that some sort of prison murder code? or uh, 251... It's like like core progression joke. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> well, dude, thank you for your time. I'm so glad I, I kind of hit you up last minute yesterday to see if you wanted to be on the show and very generous with your time. It's really nice to chat with you and, and see you again. So thanks for Yeah, coming. man. Yeah, good to meet you. Yeah, you too. Thanks for being on the show, man. Master! Master! And that was Kurt Ozon friend of mine from nashville what a character what a nice guy he was great man i had such a lovely time talking about him um yeah great talented dude multi-instrumentalist photographer i mean i feel like you know according to his story he's still kind of just in the beginnings of his career man he seems like he's just on the uptick right now absolutely and you know you can kind of you can kind of catch the vibe a little bit in that hour-long conversation but i can tell you this for sure spending a lot of time with him on the road um, people love to be around him. You know, he's just yeah. got a really cool, infectious personality, and uh, he's very interesting and funny. And yeah, I think he's gonna do. I think he's gonna do well in this town. He's gonna go far, kid. You're gonna go to uh, reach great heights, yeah, kid. You're gonna do well, kid. You keep keep reading them chess books, dude. We were on the road, all like in a used bookstore, and everyone's looking for you know Bukowski poetry, whatever the fuck. Right, and he's right. like, I remember looking for him somewhere and he's like sitting Indian style in the gaming section reading chess books. <laughs> I love it, man. Hey, well, no, no listen, judgment at all, man. I mean, I'm listening. No, dude. I, I'll be the dude on the airplane solving the Rubik's cube like 20 times on a flight just cause it's a time killer. I, I, ner, I, listen, I support nerdy stuff. I don't care. Are you listening to by tour and the snow dog while you, while you solve the, solve the yep. Rubik cube, yes, Rubik's cube. Yes. 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 The, the fly by night album by Rush is my cubing LP. <laughs> well, we appreciate you all out there and metal up your podcast land. We love you. You can support us by leaving the pot. First of all, you can just let a friend know about the show. Yeah. I'm telling you, we're still getting these emails. We usually get these DMs on Instagram where someone says, uh, I really wish I had discovered the show sooner. And, you know, we promote the hell out of it on all the socials. I don't know how else to let people know. Right. So you guys are really helping us a lot when you just let people know that it exists. And, you know, if you can leave the positive review on iTunes and if you're willing and able, if you can support us on Patreon, that's your homework. That's all you can do. Uh, but we appreciate any of you who listen out there. And uh, my daughter's waving. Hey, I Bubby. See her. <laughs> And uh, we'll catch you on the flip-flop. Peace. Adios. If you were our advisor, what would you say? Then I would say, delete that. <laughs>